listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks to everyone for joining us again for episode 221. Jeez, we're going to hit 300. Not that far off. It's a little far off. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting, though. What? This show is pretty close to hitting 1 million downloads by itself. Oh, really? We're over 900,000 downloads. Can't remember the exact number, but we're going to have to do something cool when this show hits a million downloads. Yeah, Yeah, that would be great. Speaking of great, we got reviews. You want to read the first one or the only one? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's only two stars. Been listening to the podcast for four years now. It's really the only podcast like it, truly unique. The hosts do a good job of explaining a complex industry and sharing relevant news in a concise and easy way to digest way. It's a great way to hear about updates in the industry and trends. However, the show is clearly deep into oil and gas pockets and very one-sided about any discussion of the environment. I feel like I'm listening to dinosaurs talk. Note to the host, you can point out flaws in environmental policies and concerns without making a mockery of it. I've seen some of Mark LaCour's LinkedIn comments, and he's definitely a Trump supporter. This may not bother the demographic that listens to this podcast, but personally, I don't put financial gain above people's basic human rights. And that's some Lewis F1, Apple Podcast, United States of America. So first thing, Lewis, thank you for the compliments. And then this whole political thing, this is one of the reasons for years I left politics out of the show, but at some point I decided that it was important, or we decided it was important that we include politics because politics are part of the oil and gas industry. Now you say we're clearly deep in oil and gas pockets. This is the oil and gas this week podcast, Yeah, but we're actually sponsored by IBM, which is not an oil and gas company. So not quite sure why, where you got that from the whole Trump thing. Thank you for typecasting me. I tend to be a moderate with conservative tendencies. I tend to vote for parties, not people. But anyway, it's kind of cool that you actually typecast me as a Trump supporter because I'm really not. The other thing about the whole, I feel like I'm listening to dinosaurs talk, Paige, is he being discriminatory because I'm a person of age? Quite possibly. Or is he saying that what we talk about is old news and not relevant? Maybe the first one. Yeah. Well, so once again, Lewis, you know, we totally believe in inclusion and diversity, and that includes people of age. Sorry, you don't. Hey, man, I'm in my 30s. <laughs> Sorry, you don't see eye to eye on that. But but the truth is, we try to do a really good job. And sometimes people don't always see eye to eye with us. And, and my apologies, we can't make everybody happy. We made a decision to include politics in the show because politics are a big driver in the oil and gas industry. And we knew we we're going to get stuff like this. So I am glad that you enjoyed the show. I am glad you've been listening for four years. I would actually love to talk to you because I'm really curious about, I feel like listening to dinosaurs talk, is it the subjects that we bring up or is it our opinions on it or, or what? And if you don't mind, reach back out to me. I would really love to understand you know, what we're not actually doing well. And if we are doing it well, it's just a difference of opinion. That's fine. We welcome all opinions on this show. Right. Speaking of welcome all opinions on our show, Ludwig, got a question. What's his question? His question is, can you name me three or five oil firms that are publicly traded and are now running profitable operations? Okay, so no, I'm not going to tell you what companies to invest in. It's um, That's a different <laughs> SEC <laughs> class than we are as podcasters. But Ludwig, I'll tell you this much. I'll tell you what I'm putting my personal money into this year. I'll give you the list. Murphy Oil, Schneer Energy, Valvoline, EQT, Cabot, Ontario 
Valero, and Williams. So that's where Mark LaCour is personally putting his money. Now, remember, folks, I'm not a day trader. I am not a, a financial analyst. This is stuff that I personally think are a good long-term investment for my money. And so that's what I'm doing. Let's give it 18 months and see how good Mark did. God, 18 months. <laughs> yeah, with, with these investments. But hopefully it helps you, Lufik. All right. So next question is from Jenna, which is in commercial development. First of all, I love the podcast. As someone in the industry, it is a great way to stay informed and appreciate that you all represent the oil and gas industry in an intelligent and respectful manner. I have a question regarding offshore development, specifically in the Gulf of Mexico, in regards to drilling fleet contracting with oil and gas producers. How are the drilling ships or semi-submersibles contracted and what happens in a year like 2020 where it is not profitable to drill or produce? That's first question. So what happens is typically the drilling contractors suck it up. If they're on contract and the way the contract is written is, is that if the operator gets to change the rates, if something catastrophic happens, which is about in half of all drilling contracts, they change the rates. The drilling contractor then has to take a low margin or a zero margin or sometimes an up-down margin deal. The drilling contractors really get the rough end of the, of, of the stick. Yeah. They got beat up really bad in 2014. They've Man. never really recovered, and now they're getting hammered again. So it's, you know, my heart goes out to all the people that work for the drilling contractors out there. Yeah. And she says, I've seen terms like contract day rate and contract drilling backlog. Do producers have the option to push back existing drilling contracts in uneconomic conditions or are they locked into contracted day rates? I come from a midstream onshore background, so hoping to gain more understanding about these terms in the overall process. Thank you in advance. Yeah, so this is there's there's a little gray area here. So you would think with something like a day rate, a contract day rate, that that's a a rate per day. I mean, I have a contract day rate, so does Paige, right? It's how much we charge per day to do right. work. And if if my contract day weight's four thousand dollars a day and it's three days worth of work, that's twelve thousand dollars. The math is really easy, right? Well, in the drilling world, that's not how it works. What happens is the operator negotiates with the sales team or the business develop team of, of the drilling contractor for a lump sum. So they want a contract. They need this drill ship for 67 days. This could do X, Y, and Z. What is that lump sum? And they get a lump sum. Then they divide it by how many days it is, and that's where they come up with the contract day rate. So the opposite of what you would think it is, right? So it's basically the contract the lump sum contract divided by the numbers of days it actually takes to do the work. So the problem with that, though, is once that contract is executed, most of those contracts are written where if the work goes over, unless it's something out of the ordinary, like some type of safety incident or environmental incident or sometimes some type of major goof by the operator, the contractor has to deliver on that rate. So if it if they bid for 62 days and it takes 90 days, they're only getting the money they originally bid in that lump sum that's 62 days. That's why it's so risky to be on the drilling contractor side. Now, at the same time, when times are good, and if you have a modern drill ship, a high horsepower modern drill ship, you make a lot of margin when times are good. So it's half this way, half the other. It is really interesting that the world of offshore drilling contractor has changed so much since 2014. I've seen contracts written on margins, which I think is a very fair way to do it. So the operator and the drilling contractor both say, okay, Mr. Drilling Contractor, you're allowed to make 30% margin or 25% margin. Then no matter what, the drilling contractor is guaranteed to make its money because the truth is the operator doesn't want the drilling contractor to lose money because then stuff starts happening like delays, shoddy work, all that sort of stuff. And you don't want shoddy work done. Right. Well. Yeah. Right. So this is something that's evolving right now. The consolidation of the drill ship companies over the last 10 years is helping this. 
What I'm hoping it gets to is when the operators no longer see the drilling contractors as vendors, which is what's been going on forever, and actually approach them as partners, and they both open their books up to each other. This is going to make sure everybody makes money. This is going to make sure the operator doesn't spend more money than it should, but it's also going to make things much safer, much quicker for everybody. And and I think we're heading in that direction. So, Jenna, I hope that answers your question. Okay, so next one's from Joseph, and his questions are... Oil stocks are falling even more lately, I believe, mainly because of the bearish view to the oil market. Number one, do you think it is smart to choose those companies with break-even below $20 and invest heavily no matter if stock prices go down or not? I am averaging down slowly. So, Joseph, it depends on what your end game is. If you're like me and you're not a day trader, you're not looking to flip stuff and, and make quick cash, I think your approach is super smart. Look for companies that break even at $20 and below, invest in it, and then sit back and wait because they will make money for you. It just may take you a couple of years. And then he goes on to say, I can't believe that oil prices will fall below $35 as it will damage OPEC economies. So that is true. What happens below, say, $41-$42 barrels, OPEC has to dip into its savings account. You've heard us talk about this before. That's not a long-term strategy. They have to keep their social programs running. At the same time, OPEC is extremely aware that it can use oil prices as a weapon and has no problem doing so. So if that means it has to suck it up and, and run its country off its savings account for a little while, they'll do it. All right. And then his second question is, if Biden wins or more shale companies go bankrupt, isn't that bullish for oil price? I plan to invest in oil companies that are non-U.S. based. Very smart, Joseph. I'm getting close to doing my predictions for 2021. And that, what you just said, actually plays a big part in that. So if you want the complete answer with details to that question, you have to wait to my 2021 predictions come out for the oil and gas industry, which will be very soon. Yeah. Well, December, right? December. Yep. Perfect. All right. Next question is from Matt, controls technician at DTE Energy. Hello, I really enjoy your show. Could you comment on the newly announced spinoff of DTE Energy's midstream assets? I've never been a part of a spinoff, and I'm wondering what to expect. It seems like a good thing, and I'm hopeful for the future, but I'd like an objective expert to weigh in. Thanks for the show, and I really appreciate your opinions, Matt. Not sure if I'm an expert, and I'm definitely not objective, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I will tell you my opinion. Actually, I think this is good for everybody. So DTE, at its core, is basically an, an electrical generation distribution company, and they had a natural gas part of their business to supply the raw fuel they need to generate electricity, which which makes a lot of sense. With this crazy 2021 year, what they've decided is to spin it off and split it up so they could focus on their core competency, which which I think makes total sense. Matt, I don't think you really have anything to worry about if you're working there. Typically, with these types of spinoffs where the company is not jettisoning something that is failing, where they're basically trying to concentrate in their core competency, both the spinoff and the parent company do well. If you look at some old spinoffs in the in the past, a lot of times the spinoff does way better than the parent company. If anybody remembers uh, FMC Technologies, right? Before that, it was FMC, Farm Machinery Corporation. Mm -hmm. Nobody remembers Farm Machinery Corporation. I don't. Everybody remembers <laughs> FMC Technologies. There's a spinoff that just knocked it out the pork, park, or pork, knocked out the park <laughs> when a company spinoff. And if you go back in history and look, that's a very common theme. So I wouldn't worry about it all. You don't say which side you work on, the electrical side or the natural gas side. The electrical side, of course, is going to be long, steady employment, slower advancement. 
the natural gas side, you have to ride the cycles of the price of natural gas. But when things are good, which is going to happen next year, looking at rapid advancement, lots of hiring, lots of interesting stuff to do. So hopefully, Matt, that helps you. All right. So next question is from Joseph. Hi, most oil stocks dropped by 20% in the last two months. Even oil is down after latest news on COVID and lockdowns are back in Europe. I am already invested in oil stocks and my account is bleeding money. What do you think the most important things when picking oil stocks? Do you think companies who delivered black numbers during Q2 are very good choice? Not necessarily. That's not a, and once again, Joseph, what is the deal with this week with the stock questions? But anyway, but once again, it depends on what your strategy is. Is your strategy short-term or long-term? If your strategy is long-term, I wouldn't even look twice at black numbers for Q2. If it's short-term, yeah, you should be looking at that. And then we also asked, what is an attractive break-even and net back per BOE levels, Brent? So if you don't know what net back is, net back is basically the profit of the barrel after you remove all the costs. And I mean all the costs. And so he's talking about Brett, which is a, a crude that's produced predominantly in North Sea. Europe has a, a love affair with that crude. Their refineries and petrochemicals and plants are optimized for that weight. Anything below $33, $34 a barrel net back for Brett, I would be very cautious of. It's right about $33 a barrel is where most companies are can actually break even above that so they actually start making money. Like I said, anything below that I would stay away from. And I've seen a lot of stuff, Joseph, in the news with other companies talking about how they can make money at a lower net back number than that, I haven't seen the proof that they are. So they talk about it. There's a lot of new technologies, new processes. They're saying they can make money at net back 26, 27, 28, but I haven't seen it. So just be really, really careful there. And as far as your oil and gas investment and your investment account bleeding money, welcome to the family. <laughs> I got beaten up so bad this last year. But, you know, once again, if you're like me, if your approach is a long one, you got to kind of look the other way over those, you know, quarter or yearly losses and look at it longer term. All right. This is an interesting one. I am a French guy living in London. I used to work as a concierge. Currently work for TikTok. Ha, long story. I bet it is. (laughs) Anyway, I've been listening to your podcast for about two years. I remember you used to do it with Jacob, if I'm not mistaken. Paige is very good, too. Thank you. (laughs) Anyway, I listened to your program because I like it, and I also plan to do a career change. I wanted to move to Aberdeen last summer, but with the lockdowns, I wasn't able to plan properly. I will move there next summer, though, with the program called OGTAP, Oil and Gas Training Apprenticeship. I am not too young, but not too old either, going to be 40 in November. I was too stubborn to stay in London because I have somewhat interest in films and acting, and I had other personal projects. Just to let you know that I like your show, and why not joining this up-and-coming platform called Parlay? For full disclosure, I have no business with Parlay. Thank you for your podcast, Mr. Mary Fox. So It's not a question, It's not. It? But a couple things. So first thing, working for TikTok, I love that, right? On our roadmap is for OGGN to have a TikTok presence. People, don't be worried. It will not be me dancing to stuff. It will be other parts of the crew doing that. And then the fact that he wanted to go to Aberdeen, we almost ended up in Aberdeen the first week of right March. When it, right whenever they started locking Europe down. That was so scary. Yeah. So we were supposed to launch the Oil and Gas Sales and Marketing Podcast from a conference in Aberdeen. I had to make the hard choice in the first week of March on to go and risk the safety and welfare of my people or to cancel a trip and lose a lot of money. And I chose to cancel a trip and lose a lot of money, which in retrospect was absolutely the right thing to do because we would have been stuck in New Jersey on the way back for two weeks quarantine, which would just would have. Well, and business. you know, I don't like the cold, so I, yeah. I, it kind of worked itself out. 
Yeah, but I actually am glad you're going back and trying to get back into oil and gas. Don't discount your interest in films and acting. One of the things that I'm starting to watch happen is that the oil and gas industry as a whole is realizing it needs to do content marketing. And if any marketers are listening to me, quit rolling your eyes. I, I know that content marketing has been around for a decade, but it's new in oil and gas. And so a lot of the stuff that we're doing, you look at a lot of the video we're shooting, we're shooting commercial quality video and we're telling stories. Well, if that, if you think about that and you fast forward through time, doesn't that mean at some point in the future, there will be a need for people to help tell those stories on film, which the name for people that tell stories of film is what? An actor, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, there could be a good place for you. And actually, Paige, what conference, was it OTC where we went and we went through this demonstration of a real life technology event and the people that, that were was OTC, we found out, well, I don't want to say name the company, but we found out they were actors. They were acting like they were on a well site. They had been trained. They knew their lines and language and everything. And the one thing that flipped them up is they didn't understand everything they were talking about. They talked about it the right way, but when you went that next level down, you know, if you went past blowout preventer, talk about nippling up a blowout preventer, they didn't know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah, and that's how we kind of figured it out. But it was a handful of actors that were hired to portray the scenario. And it was a beautiful thing. It it helped you realize exactly what the company was selling and the benefit immediately because you were part of this almost like impromptu play. Play. Yeah, it was really neat. It was really well done. So I expect to see more of that. As far as parlay, or as a lot of Americans call it, parlor, <laughs> um, really interesting to watch this current administration, this election cycle, showcase a social media tool that I honestly didn't even know existed a year ago. And it's been around for a little while. Yeah, it's been around for a little bit. I've gone through it. I joined like back in June just to see the experience. And it's kind of like Twitter. I'm not really into it. I joined as well. Back to my previous guy where I'm the dinosaur or whatever, but I don't like it because it's too many right-wing conservatives on it. I don't get counter opinions. It's all one side. Now, I'm hoping that changes as we go through time, but here's a very interesting thing that occurred to me this morning, Paige. So right now, there's several big social media giants, right? We have Facebook. We have Twitter. There's not, you know, we have Instagram, Snapchat, LinkedIn. But there's not a lot of competition for the big guys because in order to compete with them, you have to be big before you can be brought to Are the Are you table. mean the little guys? Well, what I'm saying is not a lot of competition for the big guys because the uh, little guys gotcha. can't compete unless they come to the table with as big an audience as Facebook or close to it, right? Right. Same way with Twitter. Unless you can come to compete with Twitter with the same size audience or close to it Twitter has, you just can't compete. You get drowned out. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about going back to MySpace, speaking of dinosaurs. <laughs> Let me ask you this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It looks like that Trump has lost the current election, right? The electoral votes has not been counted as time of today recording, which is Monday, November 16th. But if he loses, one of the things that's being talked about is that Jack Dorsey might kick him off Twitter. And he would go where? To parlay. And how many millions of people would he bring with him? I think it's 48 million. I'm sure. <laughs> so now all of a sudden, overnight... Parlay has a huge audience. For the first time in history, maybe the social media giants should be worried. Should huh? be looking over their back. All it could take is something as simple as what I just outlined, where they gain this huge audience. And it, this has people, no hate mail. This has nothing to do with my agreement or disagreement with that audience. I'm just talking about social media facts and figures. I think it would be really cool if Smythe challenged a status quo in the social media world. Uh, we need it, right? And this weird 2020 year may actually make it happen. Do, 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 do. Anyway, thank you, Mr. Mary Faso. All right. So the next question is from John Williams, which is a project manager at Chevron. Hey, guys, just love your show. What do you think Biden's 
impact is going to have to the oil and gas industry, both here in the U.S. and globally. I've heard so much crazy stuff. I'm not sure what I should believe or not. And I want an IBM <laughs> T-shirt. Well, you're gonna have to sign up just like everyone else does. Yeah, John, we can't we can't just give you one. You have to sign up. But you can sign up every week. So this is really interesting. So the first thing is until the midterm elections happen, and depending on what happens on the midterm elections, which is by the way two years now, Biden's accepting the presidency, honestly, from a practical point of view, is not going to have huge impacts on the oil and gas industry. We have to get laws changed. And yes, he can do some executive orders, totally get that. But in the grand scheme of thing, he's not actually going to be able to do a whole bunch of stuff that would negatively impact us until the midterm elections. Now, the perception will be, and it already is, that he's going to kill the industry, which is not going to happen. Well, I mean, they got to get stuff passed through Senate. And right. And they, they can't do that right. now because the Republicans maintain control. And there are chances when the midterms come up, they can flip some of those seats, right? Right. And at that point, they could actually get laws passed that could hurt, could negatively impact our industry. This, again, is one of the things that's on my list for my prediction of 2021. But I'll give you a little bit inside scoop of where my mind is right now, which is it's really weird where this may go. So I love my Canadian brothers and sisters. But quite honestly, your oil and gas industry is on its last gasp because of politics and global demand and just a whole horrible double black swan event, a whole bunch of stuff, right? Biden being elected president may actually help the Canadian oil and gas industry, which is just bizarre. Why is that? So first thing is you have to understand no matter what anybody wishes or says, the demand for hydrocarbons will not go away and it will not decrease. The demand will go up every year for our lifetime. So if their demand is not going away, if there's still a demand for hydrocarbons, it comes down to price, right? Right. You always could pay the cheapest for barrel or for cubic feet of gas. Well, if our current administration adds cost to our hydrocarbons, which we have here, then the logical choice is to buy hydrocarbons somewhere else that's cheaper. And the U.S. loves heavy, complex crudes. Our, our refineries true. and our petrochemical plants are set up and optimized for that. We're one of the few countries in the world that can handle those complex crudes. And we do it extremely well, very productive. So in my head, if the current administration increases the cost of American hydrocarbons, the natural choice is Americans will buy hydrocarbons the next place that's cheaper, which will be Canada. So Biden may actually revitalize the Canadian oil and gas market, as crazy as that sounds. Now, that means that the U.S. jobs and U.S. tax revenue will go to another country. It'll go to Canada. But quite honestly, that's been happening to us where we've been taking Canadian revenue and Canadian jobs from the oil and gas patch for a while because their prices had went up. Right. So, you know, in some ways, this may actually help other countries. And the truth is the global demand for hydrocarbons aren't going to go down. So if U.S. hydrocarbons, which right now are some of the cheapest hydrocarbons on the planet, now become more expensive, it'll just benefit other countries. So Russia, OPEC, Canada, Venezuela. And, you know, unfortunately for us here in the U.S., the people that that will impact the most are the low income people. You know, Paige, you and I probably can afford an extra 50 or $80 on our electricity bill. We would gripe about it, but we could pay it. Low-income people, they can't. A lot of them live in paycheck to paycheck. And if well, I remember to- those days, you know, young and, you know, working paycheck to paycheck. It, it's hard. It's difficult. It is. And what's going to happen if we have laws and legislation passed which increase the cost of U.S. hydrocarbons, that cost is going to be picked up by the American consumer. And the part of the American consumer that is at the most risk is the low-income part of our population. So fingers crossed it doesn't happen. Like I said, other than from a perception point of view, there's really not much that can happen with the new administration until the midterm elections. All right. So next question is from Bridget Janicek, mechanical engineer at Royal Dutch Shell. Mark and Paige, by far you have the most valuable and easy to listen podcast in the industry. I love how you take complex and fiddly topics and make them easy to understand. Bravo. 
what do we need to do as an industry and as individual companies to attract and retain more female talent? We come a long way in the last 15 years, but still lag behind other industries. So obviously, not obviously, Bridget, I'm going to guess you're from the UK in between using the words fiddly Fiddly. and bravo. (laughs) (laughs) This is a really good question. And you know, you've heard me talk before in the show about how the percentage of females in the oil and gas industry has gone up dramatically. And at some point, I think it was 2017 or 2018, the majority of the new engineers at Slumberjay were hired were females. Like it was like 57% versus 43. Did a little bit of research. And one of the things I discovered is we're hiring a lot of women. The problem is they're not sticking around. And like I had to really dig deep in this. There's a McKinsey study that I will actually use for reference because I like the way they did this study. I like the way they they pulled their data and they validate their results. But basically, one of the biggest hurdles in oil and gas, so we start out almost even here in the U.S. and Europe. We hire about the same number of women as we do men in oil and gas. The problem is when it comes to that first promotion. For some reason, and this study doesn't even try to guess why, But for some reason, only 31% of females are offered that first promotion versus 69% men, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens is we start losing the women when they get above their entry level. So we hire the same amount as men and women. Once again, people, this is here and in Europe. I know globally it's not that way. But when they start getting promoted, less and less women get promoted. And it's really hard to figure it out. You'll hear some people talk about women want to start a family. That doesn't work in, in my book because at that age, if you're a professional woman, usually most women put childbirth off till later. The second thing that you'll hear some people talk about is the lifestyle is not conductive to women. And I call bullshit on that. You know, you and I both know a bunch of women that work as hard in the field as men do. In fact, ways, some ways better. And here in Europe, we now have the facilities so that, you know, separate bathrooms and everything. So I think that's a non-issue as well. I think it's a cultural issue. Now, men face these same challenges, but why are men getting promoted over women? And what I don't think the answer is, is some type of gender bias. I don't think that's the answer. I think there's another piece of information that we haven't figured out what it is yet, but I'd really like to do some work around this and try to figure it out because if we're hiring the same amount of men and women, more or less here in Europe, but we're losing women at that fast rate, that's not a good end result. That's when you end up with more men in the executive boardroom, more men in senior levels of leadership because women just dropped off on the way up there and and we need to fix that. However, I don't think we need to fix that in a way that negates the work that people do to rise to get promoted, right? I just I think there's another piece of information that I don't know what it is, and obviously McKinsey couldn't figure it out either. But it really is really interesting to see that the big delta here in Europe is that first promotion. And then as people go through their career in oil and gas, you have more and more women dropping out. Now, here's the interesting thing. Once you get up to the VP level, it evens out again. So the same number of people that go from VP to senior VP, male and female, it stays the same. So what's happening between frontline employees that are equal, we have equal number of men and women being hired as frontline, and then you go to that manager of frontline of people, that first promotion, that's when women start dropping out. And they drop out all the way up until you hit that VP level, and then it levels out again. It's really interesting. It's almost a mathematical Almost like a puzzle, right? There's there's this one puzzle piece that I don't know what it is, and McKinsey doesn't know what it is, and I don't think anybody else knows what it is, but it will be interesting to figure figure out what that is. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And then she asked another question that I'm not going to read on the air because she asked me not to, but yes, you are correct. That's a good way to handle that page. All right. So the next question is from Carrie Dunaway, Field Tech for Slumberger. Question, is best oil and gas podcasters ever? Thank you. Uh, I actually met both of you briefly back when life was normal at one of your happy hours here in Houston. 
when do you think we will ever get back to doing oil and gas events in person again? And Paige always rocks her outfits, Mark. Maybe she could help you out a little bit. <laughs> hey, Carrie, just because I always wear blue jeans and a black t-shirt. Always. <laughs> you don't have to think about what you're wearing. There, simple. Yeah. Actually, I think I remember meeting her. I may be wrong. Uh, we've met so many people at so many of our live events. That must, it could have been the one in January or the, I don't know. I'm thinking it was the one that we had around, we had the AI panel. Was, uh, anyway, was it, that was October. October, yeah. So good question. We did our first, what I would call hybrid event. Was that just last week at API? Yes. Where we had an in-person event of about 90 people and we, then we live streamed it to thousands of people. And that went really well. It was nice to have in person again. OGGN is going to do a test probably in January, late January. We're going to do a very small live event here in Houston just to see what the appetite is. Because the biggest thing for us right now is perception. I am fully confident we could hold an event and keep everybody safe and make it valuable and entertaining. But will people want to come to it in January? Right? Right. Is it too early? So we're going to do a very small event in January. And depending on the results of that, if we don't have good results and we're going to hold off for a while and try, test again, if we have great results, we may go full-blown to our normal events in February or March. So they will come back. But I'll tell you this much, Carrie, it's going to be different. It's never – I don't think it's ever going to be exactly like it was before 2020. I think you're always going to have some element of mask, hand sanitizer, social distancing. And we'll still have a great time. We'll still have get together and be in person and get to – you know, maybe we won't shake hands. Maybe we'll bump elbows or whatever. And that's what I did at the API meeting. It's just like a little, little elbow action. So it's definitely coming back. And just like you, Carrie, I actually miss it too. And the funny thing is I can't believe I'm saying I'm missing all that stuff because it used to get so frustrating sometimes. I just miss being around my peers, my other oil and gas professionals. Oh, well, you know me. I'm I'm not big for crowds or anything like that. So it was it was actually really refreshing to see people I haven't seen in forever. And just it, it was really nice to get out. Yeah, I was actually pleasantly surprised I was able to still fit in my suit. Barely, but I was able to still fit in it. So, <laughs> so before we go back to to our normal events, I got to lose a couple of pounds. But uh, thanks for the question. <laughs> Body by quarantine. <laughs> All right. So giveaway. What about the giveaway? I'm going to let you talk. I just write all these questions. <laughs> all right. So you want to win this really cool shirt? Sign up for a chance to win this IBM shirt. Each shirt has a unique serial number. It's, it's printed on the front of the shirt. The shirts have our new logo on it, which means you have the old shirts even more collectible. And that unique serial number is supposed to be super valuable. What we do is we give away some really cool stuff based upon the number of the shirt. Now, we've had an interesting couple of months, I will say, where we've had several shirt winners that we've announced and nobody reached back out to us. Which makes me wonder, Paige, is this, should we stop doing this? I don't know, but I'm going to keep all the stuff. You can keep all the stuff. <laughs> we have a bunch so, of good loot. So audience, I'd love to hear back from you. If you want a shirt, are, do you wait? Do you know what that number is? And do you wait for us to see if we call out your number? And Paige and I have just had bad luck with calling out numbers of shirts that aren't listening to the show anymore. Or does that, does that even occur to you? Maybe we should do something else with the, the giveaway stuff we have. Regardless, we still give away a shirt every week. Go sign up. They're really cool shirts, whether you win something extra on top of the shirt or not. What do you want to do, Paige? You want to try another number? Because it's been three weeks for that, the second number. Sure, why not? So click the random generator. All right. And we have 42. 42. So if you have shirt 42, 42, put the shirt on. Take a picture of you with the shirt on showing the number 42. Send it to Paige, and we have this basket of really cool stuff that we'll send you that's worth a lot of money that you can't get anywhere else. So 42, number 42, if you have the shirt, let us know about it, and we'll send you something really cool. And nobody 
gets back, I'm keeping all the stuff. So, all right. So weekly rig count by, let's see, what's it looking like? All right. The United States, 312. So we're up 12. That's awesome. Canada, 89, up three. Internationally, 656, down 46. Okay. That's, that's not too terrible for the end of the year. Right. And speaking of very acceptable, our street team is killing it. We got new swag coming out. We got new shirts. We've had a little bit of discussion on the color of the shirts, but just the fact that we even have the shirts picked out is a big step forward for us. Yeah, no kidding. We've got some leadership in, in the street team. We're looking to form subgroups. If you want to play a part, we ask you as a volunteer to give us an hour's worth of your time a month. That's it. Just hours worth of time of your month. And if you can't do it, it's cool. We understand life gets in the way. And really all you're doing is helping us with our social media, unless you want to get more involved. We need leaders for things like our TikTok team for us, for our Instagram That should team. be interesting. Yeah. And if you want to run with all that sort of stuff, it's great. And then also remember this, it's not just a one-way street. You're not just helping us. You're now part of our network. So imagine if you're a salesperson and you need introductions to somebody at Chevron or to Technique FMC or to Halliburton, guess what? We're happy to help you with that We stuff. know people. Yeah. If unfortunately you're looking for your next role, you yeah. let the street team know you got a whole family that's out there looking for you. We've seen it happen already. We've seen people get jobs and customers by being parts of the street team, and we want that to happen. So go to LinkedIn, search for OGG and street team, join. There's a form that we ask you to fill out. And basically, not only does it help us make sure we send you the right size shirts and swag and everything else, but also lets us know what you're interested in so we can make sure that your work that you're doing with us is fun for you. Yeah. And if you want to send us a question for December, First Friday Q&A, go to olandgasthisweek.com, ask a question, and we'll give you a big shout out. Yep. If we use your question on the air, we don't use all questions, folks. And some of y'all send some really, really, really strange questions. Oh, I haven't even seen all of them. I, I, I delete them. We get oh. some yeah, yeah. stuff. But for the most part, everybody sends really cool stuff. Remember, the goal is not to stump page now, but just help educate the audience. And then speaking of events, like we spoke about earlier, I have a, a email that goes out every month free of charge where we take all the oil and gas events and put them in one place so you can figure out which ones you want to go to. And we stick stuff in there the public doesn't know about. So free tickets, insider-only events, all that sort of stuff. So go sign up for it. Links in the show notes. Travel, we're not doing too much traveling yet. Nope. But speaking, we are. I've actually, I was doing the math Sunday, actually, and I've had the best from a financial point of view, best speaking year this year. Isn't that crazy? Really? And it's all been virtual, right? Well, I guess you take away the cost it would take to get to where you're going and the time. Yeah, that would make sense. Well, I charge way less to do a virtual. Like I have I have two back-to-back. I have one tomorrow, one the next day. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I don't have to do anything other than you know share or educate how the sponsor wants us to do it. And even though I charge less, I've done a lot more. So it's been my best speaking year ever. Who would have ever thought? And I mean, all you got to do is make sure you... Don't have gym clothes on. Well, I've said this before, but I think the only person that's ever interviewed a former secretary of state with gym shorts on. I I had a nice shirt from the waist up, but I was in gym shorts. But let us know if you want myself or any of our experts to come speak at any of your events virtually. We'll be happy to do that. And I'm also taking in-person reservations for 2021. Now, we have to wait till we actually get there. I just saw a page that OTC has been pushed out from May till August of 2021. Oh, wow. Which is going to be interesting because that's the hottest time of the year in Houston. Oh, And can you imagine all those people? Oh, I don't even want to think about it. I'm just just glad we're starting to get cool weather now. Yeah. So let us know if you want anybody to come help you with your event. Then like Paige said, first Friday Q&A, send us a question. We use on the air. You get a big shout out. And it's about time to get out of here. All right, let's do it. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here's Savannah with Events on Deck. Hey, everybody. 
it's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for October 2020. We've got about five events this month, three of which are online, one of which is in person, and one of which is both. First up, we have the Houston Energy Breakfast Virtual Conference on the 6th, which is about embracing the evolving market landscape, and that'll be online. Second, we have Adipec 2020, which is an interactive online event going on from the 9th to the 12th. Third, we have OGGN and API Houston Chapter Presents, the opening of the Deep Cavango Basin, which will be live-streamed directly to LinkedIn and other platforms from the event in downtown Houston on the 10th. Fourth, we have the Energy API 3-Gun Challenge on the 13th, which is in person at the Ranch Shooting Club in Eagle Lake, Texas. Last, we have the Downstream Leadership Forum, which will be our last event of the month from the 19th to the 20th, and that'll be online. Other than these events, I believe OGGN will be hosting some live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. That's all for November. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.